0: It looks like you all hated me so much That you've given me this award for it
1: That it can be about the performance
0: And not the politics This moment Is so much bigger Than me And I can't deny the fact that you like me
1: Right now You like me
0: And thank all of you who voted for me And all of you who didn't Please excuse me
1: I deserve this, thank you
2: and welcome back to season four of Academy Queens. I actually did take the Eiffel Tower train of frat guys
1: in college, and the, I have the pictures to prove it. Joey Gentile. And all I've got is two wrong feet and fucking ugly shoes. I'm Brandon Stanwick, And this
2: is Academy Queens season four premiere. We're in the 2000s. The year 2000 is here. We are finally getting closer to present time, and holy shit. What a difference in just watching these movies. Really excited for today, though, because, uh, dude, we have our biggest guest we've ever had on so far. And I'm super excited that he agreed to do this with us. So, without further ado, let's just bring him right out. We'll dive right in. We'll, get, uh, we'll pick his brain a little bit, and then we'll uh, get into the 2000s. Are you ready? Yep. All right. All right, all right. So, our first guest of the season, kicking us off with, uh, the, again, the class of 2000. Um, has been a pure delight to uh, read his pieces over the years. Not only to read his pieces, to see him on TV, to see him on the screen, to watch videos of him roasting people like Lady Bunny and Bianca Del Rio. Um, You've seen his writing on uh, The Village Voice, uh, Unfiltered Column for newnownext.com, Paper Mag, The New York Times, The Daily Beast, you've seen on VH1 and Logo, Ladies and gentlemen, and everyone in between, the one, the only,
0: Michael Musto. Oh, thank you, guys. The Oscars are my favorite (laughs) thing to talk about. As you mentioned, I'm with New Now Next. I have a weekly column, and that's like the MTV logo VH1 queer site. And I'm also one of the predictors on goldderby.com, which is the big awards prediction site. I'm one of the best Oscar and Golden Globe and Tony Award predictions. Predictors on that site. Perfect. And speaking
2: of... um, Golden Globes. They were
0: last night. Yeah, it was not that painful. I didn't mind Ricky Gervais. I usually squirm over his humor because he says something like faux wicked and then has a mischievous half grin like, Oh, aren't I naughty? But he didn't do that last night. He just kind of doled out the humor. I liked him poking holes in the hypocrisy of Hollywood. I thought he was amusing. There were a few missteps, obviously. Every joke can't be a home run.
1: Uh, After, you know, he
0: made the pussy joke about James Corden. I thought he I thought he should have stopped there and not gone for the Judy Dench line. But I love the way he nailed. I like the way he nailed the hypocrisy and uh, the Harvey Weinstein remark at the end was was great about how everyone in Hollywood was like the characters in Bird Box. We just can't see what's going on with Harvey Weinstein.
2: For sure. And then it was kind of like very just desserts in a way because today was the first day, or well, today was the day in um, L.A. courts that
0: Harvey Weinstein is officially facing charges for his rape cases. Two and two new charges popped up today for him, so that's bad news for him. Yeah.
2: Well, you know what we say to Harvey Weinstein? Fuck you.
0: So yeah, Exactly. You know. In fact, when, um, uh, you know, Bong Ho uh, talked about the one- inch problem in Hollywood it's Harvey Weinstein <laughs> <laughs> exactly exactly um, we
2: uh, Michael you and I had well you definitely were I knew her a lot more but I had my own little run-in with Sylvia miles last year before we lost her actually around March of yeah March of last year I got yelled at by Sylvia miles and it was one of the highlights of my 2019.
0: Yeah, that's kind of a badge of honor, I think. And what did she? yell? well, it was it,
2: when we started doing this podcast. We, you know, we've had the idea to bring Oscar-nominated actors or winners um, on to talk with her. Somehow, through my realms of people, I found or I was given Sylvia's phone number, and they're like, "Yep, just call her. She doesn't have an agent. Just give her a call." I I called her, and it was the most brilliant but most terrifying thing at the same time because she instantly shot me down and was just like, I don't want to do this shit, and it was fucking beautiful. So that was my one run-in with Sylvia Miles, and I will
0: always cherish it. And she, we should explain, was a two-time Oscar nominee for Midnight Cowboy and Farewell, My Lovely for Supporting Actress. And she became a friend of mine in the 1970s. I was dazzled by her, but she did have a dark side. And she kind of craved attention, but then if you gave it to her, she could lash out at you out of her own insecurity. But she meant well.
2: Yeah, yeah. And I That's think she I should
0: have won for Midnight Cowboy. That was I love Goldie Hawn, but I, and I love the movie Cactus Flower, but I don't understand how Goldie Hawn and Cactus Flower is an Oscar-winning performance, except that they wanted to anoint her the sort of new blonde queen of Hollywood and Sylvia Maz was very New York, very actor studio, a whole other type of thing. But watch Midnight Cowboy again. Sylvia walks away with the whole movie. Oh,
2: yeah. We're actually doing the class of 1969 as a bonus episode for February. So we're actually going to be discussing that whole lineup very shortly. Terrific. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brandon, you've been pretty quiet. Sorry about that. You oh,
1: I'm just I'm just always so nervous about interrupting someone. So I just stay a little quiet until it's time to break through. Absolutely. I also adore Sylvia Miles. I actually just checked out Midnight Cowboy to revisit it. Uh, it's been a few years uh, in for homework for our 1969 episode. Looking forward to revisiting it and Sylvia's performance. Uh, as far as the Globes go, um, I thought it was relatively safe. Uh, there wasn't really anything that jumped out to me as um, egregious in any way. I also pretty much uh, enjoyed Ricky Gervais. I didn't think he was um, all that horrible, like um, Michael was saying. He's one of those comics who will sometimes just say something outlandish in order to just say something outlandish and has that, oh, did I say that face? Which I find kind of annoying and a little reductive, but he didn't do that too much this last time. And I will admit, I did laugh at a few of his jokes in his monologue. So overall, I thought it was a pretty okay Golden Globes.
0: And I was kind of happy there were some surprise winners. Nobody expected 1917 for Picture and Director. Nobody expected Missing Link for Animated. Yeah, Taron Edgerton for actor in a comedy or musical. Everyone thought either Leonardo or Murphy. So yeah. as horrible as some of the choices were, it, it's nice to have a surprise because the Golden Globes have become so much of a precursor to the Oscars that they've almost made the Oscars an anti-climax. You know, it's yeah. always gonna be the same people winning, giving the same speeches. So it's good to shake it up and throw some other winners out there. I think there was a real hatred for Netflix last night. I'm not sure why. But I think they only won two awards, including over thirty something nominations.
2: Yeah, I, I'm I'm starting to think that there's a backlash a little bit with the Netflix, um, with the streaming services after the whole Spielberg with Roma thing last year. Like I, I, granted, yeah, they're getting all these nominations, but I have a feeling like this is going to go down real hard very soon. Something just this feels very off about how much they were nominated
0: and literally, like you said, walked away with two. I thought this year the, the Oscars can't really be that mad at Netflix because they have so many eligible movies, including The Irishman and Marriage Story and um, Two Popes, Dolomite. But it's possible they could do a total, uh, you know, turn their back on Netflix in, in many categories. And we'll see. 1917 yeah. is certainly, I would say 1917 would be a good Oscar winner. It seems like a big Oscar bait stunt, the whole movie, but it's so brilliantly pulled off that it it would be okay to me if it won. Yeah,
2: 1917 hasn't come to Cleveland yet. Brandon, do you have it near D.C.?
1: No, I haven't uh, had a chance to see it yet. I don't think it comes for another week or so. I get most things late. Little Women and Bombshell came a week late for me, too. Everyone else saw it way before. Well, don't feel bad. Cleveland never even got the farewell. Like I wasn't able to
2: see the farewell until the screeners came out. So I was like, okay, cool. That's crazy. Right, right. Did you get Parasite? Parasite we did get, because I, I ended up going to the theaters uh, twice for that. Okay. We got Parasite, but we did not get The Farewell. So, um, yeah, really quick, I thought the Globes were the same thing. It was pretty much, you know, uh, kind of what we expected with um, some twists. The Missing Link one kind of threw me, especially because, in my opinion, um, Paranorman is Leica's like best film that they've ever done, and Missing Link was a huge bomb, so that was kind of like, whoa, what's going on?
0: Um, I, I was think they didn't want to honor head. all the franchise films that they'd already given awards to.
2: Yeah. That Everything feels.
0: else was a sequel. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Um, and, but Taron Edgington, I'm really rooting for him for the Oscar. He was my favorite male performance of last year. So I, I think, you know, I, I would like to see him win, but I'm not upset with the, uh, Joaquin Phoenix. But other than that, yep, nothing really was like, oops, you know, out of left field. There was no Pia Zadora moments of last night, that's for sure.
0: But I I don't think every year the best actor should be somebody playing some British rock star right? (laughs) who's gay. Right, there's that. Next year, Um, George Michael.
2: uh, But would be like, oh, there's a theme going here.
0: It's a guarantee. Oh, oh
2: yes. Oh, yes. So, uh, before we dive in, um, I always give a little uh, Oscar uh, trivia here that I have from my book by... uh, Jim Piaz and Gail Kinner of the Academy Awards, The Complete Unofficial History. And in the year 2000, um, this was a year where Steven Soderbergh's double director nomination for Traffic and Aaron Brockovich was the first since 1938 when Michael Curtis pulled it off for Angels with Dirty Faces and Four Daughters. Curtis didn't manage to win for either. So we had a double director nominee for the same person, two different movies this year. Boom.
0: And he won Traffic. He, he did, didn't he cancel did. himself out. He did not cancel himself out. <laughs> Let's
1: do All this. right. So, your supporting actress nominations in the year 2000 were
0: Judy Dench in Chocolate.
1: Right, so let's jump right in here with uh, Marsha Gay Harden, who wins for Pollock this year. This is her first of two nominations, and so far her only win. Going into this, she only had a win with the New York Film Critics Circle, although she was also uh, recognized with the National Society of Film Critics and with the Independent Spirit Awards. In Pollock, Marsha Gay Harden plays Lee Krasner, an artist who pumps the brakes on her own career to hold together Jackson Pollock's. as his lover, wife, and caregiver through the darkest times of his life. So, um, Michael, let's start with you. How do you feel about Marsha Gay Harden's performance in Pollock? I
0: was very happy she won. As you say, she was not the favorite to win. I think Kate Hudson was going into it as the favorite for Almost Famous. Uh, Kate Hudson played Penny Lane, a groupie. I had heard so much buzz about her performance. And I've already trashed Goldie Hawn and Cactus Flower. Let me not trash Trash her daughter, too. But I didn't get the buzz when I saw Almost Famous. I didn't get what was so electrifying about her performance. Uh, Frances McDormand was also nominated for Almost Famous. And she gave a kind of cartoony, very entertaining performance in that Frances McDormand style. And I think Frances won the Golden Globe, right? Uh, Critics'
1: choice for Frances. But
0: I I seem to remember her winning the Golden Globe because I remember Kate Hudson didn't look too happy when they announced that.
1: I have Kate uh, Hudson winning the globe. Yeah.
0: Kate, Kate won the globe. The globe that year. Yep. Wow. Okay. Well, then maybe Francis didn't look happy. Yeah, that's what it was. Anyway, I was really happy about Marcia beating all of them, plus Judy Dench and Julie Walters. And I did love Julie Walters and Billy Elliot. But Marsha Gay Harden is a real New York stage actress. She really played a woman who had to deal with the ups and downs of Pollock and his addiction. And her character, Lee, was very complicated herself. She wasn't just a stand-by-your-man kind of person. She was a full-fledged personality, and Marsha brought so much to it. I honestly didn't think she would win because she was so good. So that was a real feel-good moment. And I would say that uh, it was hard to imagine anybody else playing it.
2: Marsha's win. So revisiting Pollock here a couple weeks ago, I hadn't seen Pollock in probably about 10 years. Um, I was a lot more impressed with her this time than I remember watching it the first time. And I think it's because of my love for Almost Famous as a movie. Um, and even even the other films, I think, are just better, like Chocolat and uh, Billy Elliot here in this, in this uh, lineup. Um, but, yeah, I definitely feel you could tell this is a New York movie. These are New York actors. This is not L.A. actors being cast for... New York parts and you can really tell the difference between New York and LA actors Um, I feel like New York actors because of the stage they really play for the back of the room to where LA actors are very much just for who's in front of them Um, and Marsha definitely shows what she's got going on here Um, and honestly even though yes it's called Pollock she kind of for me holds the movie to herself like I wouldn't have been mad if it was called Krasner (laughs) like I think she's that good in this, um, my only issue with this is: is she in the right category here? Is she the lead uh, to Ed Harris, or is she truly playing a supporting role? That's the only like question I have here for this role.
1: I adore Marsha Gay Harden. Uh, she's one of my favorites, uh, has been for a long time, and I agree with you guys. She brings a real grit to this role and she stands up to jackson pollock uh ed harris's jackson pollock exactly as he needs to be stood up to she does not take his bullshit and she proves that she's a real force to be reckoned with here and she's not going to let him stampede all over her and uh i think Marsha gay hardens fantastic here but i also um i'm kind of on the same uh, fence here with joey uh while revisiting this movie i wasn't entirely sure if she was supporting um, in this. She she feels a little bit like a co-lead to me with Ed Harris because she's in pretty much this entire movie and even beyond screen time, she's kind of steering it for the longest time, trying to control him and wrangle his career and his psyche in order to get him to perform and to just keep him together. So in many ways, she feels like a co-lead But um, as far as performance goes, I think she's amazing. Um, I love that Marsha Gay Harden has an Oscar um, because I'm just a big fan of her.
0: Well, I think from Tatum O'Neill to Viola Davis, supporting actress is the category for category fraud more than the other ones for some reason. Oh, yeah. So many times a lead actress is put in supporting for whatever reason.
1: Yeah, it seldom goes the other
0: way. Well, Usually
1: when it goes the other way, it's an ego thing.
0: Olivia Colman could conceivably have been considered supporting last year. It was sort of up in the air. I thought they were crazy when they put Olivia in lead, but they obviously did the right thing. I was very happy with Marsha winning. And, and I hated Chocolat. So, I mean, Judy Dench, you know, it's not as embarrassing as Cats, but Chocolat was pretty bad.
1: Well, with that, let's just go ahead and transition into Chocolat uh, and Judy Dench's performance. So with uh, Chocolat, this is Judy's third of seven nominations having previously been up for Mrs. Brown and winning for Shakespeare in Love. Uh, going into the Oscars, she wins SAG and she's nominated for the Golden Globe and the BAFTA. In Chocolat, she plays Armanda, uh, the elderly landlady to Juliette Binoche's character. Um, she's unhappy and uh, estranged from her daughter. And sweets seem to be one of the things that bring her joy despite her uh, terrible case of diabetes. So uh, Michael, since you uh, started off a little bit there, how about we uh, continue with your thoughts on Judy Dench?
0: I love her. I love her work. This particular movie made me literally nauseous. I hated the tweedness, the preciousness, the the magical realism which was very popular. Movies like this and Emily, you know that just made you want to you know scream they were so precious uh judy deserves something a little edgier in my opinion i was surprised that she got nominated quite frankly
2: yeah i like you know i love me some judy dench i gave her the oscar for mrs brown um a couple years ago when we were in the 90s but this is um this is just it feels like a filler nomination almost which is weird because she had so many precursors compared to someone like marcia gay harden and she actually won sag which the fun thing about this lineup in particular, uh, with all five ladies, or I'm sorry, with at least four out of the five, not including Marsha, is that they all won a different precursor. So this was really, you know, yes, Kate Hudson was at that time the one that people were like, yep, she's going to win it. But this could have been anyone's game. Winning SAG is a big like, oh, this is it moment. Um, so this would have been an interesting win if the Academy had gone the same way. Now, when I think lot supporting actresses, I actually am more drawn towards Lena Olin than I am, um, Judy Dench here. Now, Chocolat as a whole is a really "quote unquote" modern fairy tale, um, and it plays on that point pretty well. But I wouldn't say like this performance in particular. Like, I don't think of this lineup, and I'm like, oh, that's that's Judy Dench's Chocolat year. Like, she's she's fine. She's playing the baby old lady, but I I don't know if it's anything super special.
1: Yeah, I agree with you two. Uh, Chocolat is not a movie that really works for me. I think it wears its charm on its sleeve a little too obviously, and it um, wears off for me pretty quickly. Um, I love Judy Dench, of course, uh, but this is far from her greatest outing. I mean, when I think of Judy Dench's best roles, Shock a Lot is not in the top five for me whatsoever. Um, it's not really one that you go to when you think of Judy Dench. I think she brings um, a sincerity to this character, and uh, she does her best with it. But ultimately, I don't know how um, well crafted this character is from the page for her. Uh, it gives her a nice little uh, story with her estranged daughter and her grandson who she's trying to bond with over chocolate. And that's sweet, I guess. But uh, when the movie's over, I find that I don't really care about that relationship um, I'm gonna kind of echo what Joey said. While, while revisiting this movie a few weeks ago, I found myself much more drawn to the Lena Olin character. And remembering our discussion on her nomination for *Enemies: A Love Story*, and how we w- how we both wished that uh, the industry and the Academy had given her more opportunities and recognition over the years, I think I would have honestly preferred Lena Olin to receive a nomination over Judy Dench for *Shock a Lot*. As much as I love Judy Dench as an actress. Well, you have to remember
0: who was behind Chocolat, Harvey Weinstein. This was the period when Harvey Weinstein could have a three-hour film that was just a blank screen with some static, and he could get 12 nominations for it. He worked magic in that department. He knew how to market a movie for Oscar and to get those nominations. And when Chocolat was up for picture and all these other uh, categories, I was like, that's Harvey. This is what he does nobody in my opinion looks back at chocolate as an oscar-worthy film
2: quick question for you actually michael side note on that because not to put an age on this here but 2000 i would have been eight years old so while i guess remember watching the oscars this year um i wasn't aware of like the backlash like, backlash of chocolate was it as intense when it got the nomination
0: for best picture as everyone kind of is like remember back when I wouldn't say everybody, but the cynical crowd like me, the commentators were kind of over it. But the public liked the movie. You know, it was just like very pleasing to a certain type of taste. Uh, but, you know, yeah, there was a certain element of society
1: like myself, commentators who were rolling our eyes through the whole thing. Gotcha. And lot seems like that type of movie that makes you feel good if you're that type of movie watcher.
0: Or the opposite effect in my case, you know. Right. It may be violently nauseous. Exactly.
1: Well, uh, I think we're finished with lot, so we can move on to Almost Famous. Uh, Let's start with Kate Hudson. Um, This is her first and only nomination so far. Going into this, she wins the Golden Globe and uh, the Kansas City and Las Vegas Film Critics, and she's also recognized with the BAFTAs, the MTV Movie Awards, the Teen Choice Awards, uh, the Chicago Film Critics, and SAG. And in Almost Famous, Kate Hudson plays Penny Lane, the whimsical muse of many rock and roll stars of the 70s. So, Joey, let's start with you. How do you feel about Kate Hudson in Almost Famous? So, let
2: me just start with Almost Famous is one of my favorite movies of all time. I lo- like I've like I been very vocal before with saying the 70s was my favorite period of American films. I love that like pop culture era. I mean, it's just, you know, the anti Vietnam stance. Like, I, I just, I have a great appreciation for the 70s. So, with, with that said, Almost Famous is 100% my shit. Um, years ago, years ago, years ago, years ago, I found myself enthralled with the character of Penny Lane. And then as I got older, I was still enthralled with this character. Um, I own this on Blu ray and I pop it in all the time. I should say all the time, but every once in a while. And um, I'm still just amazed with what this character, how it was written, but also who she could have been. Um, I've also, over the years, started to find myself disliking Kate Hudson's portrayal less, or disliking it more and more. Um, And I honestly feel like this is a thing with growing up with this movie. As a kid, you find Penny Lane to almost be a hero. And as you grow up, I find myself uh, like being more on the team Francis McDormand mother character. So it's like, it's, for me, it was like this weird transition of, you know, who this, who I was as a kid to now as an adult. Um, I just find Kate Hudson's very, her performance to be almost very one note at, at, at certain moments of the film. Um, you know, when she's one-on-one with uh, Lester, or not Lester bangs, but when she's one-on-one with the, uh, the lead singer guy, um, Billy or Billy Crudup, his character, she's great in you know in the love aspect, but when she's just going from person to person, whether it's uh, uh, Anna Paquin or whoever the hell it is, it's 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 very fake to me. It's that L.A. acting that I was talking about earlier. Um, Michael, what about you?
0: Um, I think I mentioned already that I was disappointed with her performance. I agree; it was at times one note. I think she's appealing. She went on to become sort of a a star. Um, Anyway, um, I liked the men in the movie better. I liked uh, Billy Crudup. And I also liked uh, the kid, Patrick Fugit. Mm -hmm. And they got no recognition as far as I remember.
1: Nope. Yeah, I'm not too fond of Kate Hudson either, to be perfectly honest. Um, I find the character of Penny Lane to be kind of boring, in fact. Um, and when I watched this movie for the first time, I believe I was maybe in high school and like, kind of like Joey, I feel like I liked the movie more overall and even the character Penny Lane, but as time has gone on and I've revisited this movie a couple of times, I just find her more bland and there's, there's a certain artifice to her character and the way she functions in this movie that just doesn't really work for me. And, um, I find myself quite bored with it pretty quickly, actually.
0: It's not great acting, and I would have preferred like a young Courtney Love or somebody with that kind of charisma. Oh, my God, yes. You know what I mean? It would have brought something quite different to the part. Yes. Uh, And I like Kate Hudson. I mean, she is so guileless that uh, she called me around that time for a phone interview, and she was at the time with that rock star. Mm. (laughs) Remember the rock star with with the dreadlocks? The Common Crows dude. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. he, uh, she didn't even block his number that she was calling from, so I got his phone number. I never used it, but I thought, well, this girl really is not indoctrinated into the ways of Hollywood yet. I think because her mom is Goldie, who's like a lifelong hippie, and she considered Kurt Russell her dad, even though he's not her biological dad. And the way she described it, their family situation was very cool, and it wasn't mm-hmm. very hard-edged showbiz. You know what I mean? Goldie's a kook in real life, and also a smart person. And I Mm -hmm. think Kate grew up with, you know, a lot of interesting influences with those those parents. Um, At this point, I don't think her career is in the position where an Oscar nominee's career should be. Right. Maybe because she got stuck in a lot of, like, Matthew McConaughey comedies or something. Like, she went from credibility to Matthew McConaughey movies. He then went to credibility from there. Though then he did Beach Bum, so whatever.
2: Now here's a quick question for you guys.
0: Is she in the right category? Can
2: she be considered a lead here? Because she's in a lot of this movie.
0: I definitely saw her as
1: supporting, I have to say. I see her more as supporting as well. Um, I, th- I think when you break down how much she's actually in, she is definitely supporting. She's sprinkled throughout pretty steadily, and she's one of those characters who has a presence throughout the film, and she's referred to a lot, kind of kind of in the way that Anthony Hopkins in The Silence of the Lambs is, even though he's only in 15 minutes of that movie, it, it often feels like he's in more of it because of the presence of his character and the way he functions within the story. But uh, with Kate Hudson here, I, I, I definitely lean more towards supporting with her. She's not quite um, important enough directly in the narrative for me to consider her lead. If I would have been asked that question 10 years ago, I would have been like, yep, she's a lead.
2: But now I totally agree with you guys. 100% supporting.
1: Okay, so uh, next we'll just go to the, um, the other almost famous lady, uh, Frances McDormand. This is her third of five nominations, having previously been up for Mississippi Burning and winning for Fargo. Uh, she was a bit of a critics darling going into this, it seems, uh, because she wins with the Boston, Chicago, and L.A. Film Critics, as well as with the uh, Critics' Choice Award, and she's recognized with the New York Film Critics, the National Society of Film Critics, and at SAG. In Almost Famous, uh, Frances McDormand plays Elaine Miller, the strong-willed widow college professor mother of Patrick Fugit's William Miller. Michael, how do you feel about Frances McDormand in Almost Famous?
0: I mean, I worship her. Uh, I felt she was on a different level or in a different tone than everybody else in the movie. She was playing it like a Marge Gunderson, like a comic, kind of exaggerated character where most of the other people were going for naturalism. Uh, I can only blame that on the director. That being said, I enjoyed her performance. I found her very entertaining. She got the laughs out of the part. and um, But it obviously was not a slam dunk Oscar part for Frances, the way her two leading
2: uh, actress
0: Oscars were.
2: Are you guys ready for this one?
0: I think this is
2: probably my favorite of Frances' nominations. So I was not... A, I'm going back to the two that we've talked about so far. Uh, Mississippi Burning I think she's great in we discussed that in the 80s I'm not a huge fan of Fargo as a whole because I don't like the Coen brothers as filmmakers they're not my thing um, and I and I also thought she was in the wrong category for Fargo so I didn't give her the win um, this though is like bam for me because like when I said earlier like as a kid I more identified with Penny Lane and you know who who she was and that character. And as I've grown up, I'm like, oh my God, Frances McDormand. She, I, I totally get everything she's coming from now. Like it makes sense. Um, I think she's great on her comedic points. I think she's, she's such a, 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 a character, this colorful character in this movie of colorful characters. So for me, for, you know, you either blend in or you stand the hell out and every line delivery, every ridiculousness you know, I mean, soy cutlets, uh, random just like little lines that she has, you know, don't do drugs or, you know, I, I miss my son. The I love you scene like it's she's giving me comedy. She's giving me drama. She's giving me everything. And I really I really dig it. I think this is my favorite of her nominations.
1: So I also really like her in this. Um, I, I definitely feel what Michael's saying, how she definitely stands out from the other uh, characters in this movie. And I think that works for me, considering how she is supposed to be from this other world. Like she's in Mm -hmm. the quote unquote real world while all the other characters are in this rock and roll land. And so I think it works for me that she stands out and she's giving an almost different delivery and a way of presenting herself that I think kind of works for her and also adds to the comedy, like Joey was saying, because Frances McDormand has some really great one-liners in this. Um, For some reason, the don't do drugs thing just makes me laugh whenever I watch this movie. It's just her delivery of it is so great and the characters reacting around her uh, when she says don't do drugs and everyone's like, yeah, drugs. I just find it delightful. Um, I also really enjoy the heart that she brings to this because um, beyond being the uh, comedic punchline at times for being the sort of, uh, square straight edge mom. She has a a real maternal, um, heartfelt nature to her, Elaine does. And in just a few minutes, because Frances McDormand is only in what, maybe 10 minutes of this movie. If you really break it down and add up all the scenes, she shows so many different facets to herself as a performer. And... She really does everything she can with a short amount of screen time. So I think this is a really nice outing for Frances McDormand. We will then go into our fifth and final uh, supporting actress nominee. That is Julie Walters, nominated for Billy Elliot. This is her second of two nominations, having previously been up for Educating Rita back in the 80s. Going into this, uh, she wins with BAFTA and at the Empire Awards. And she's recognized at SAG, the Golden Globes, the British Independent Film Awards, and with the Boston and Chicago Film Critics. In Billy Elliot, she plays Mrs. Wilkman, the chain-smoking, no-nonsense dance instructor who recruits uh, Billy to uh, train under her wing after recognizing his natural talent and works with him to hone his skills and help him get into a prestigious dance academy. So, Joey, how do you feel about Julie Walters and Billy Elliot?
2: Fucking love her in this, too. Um, I believe, what, 83 was the year we had uh, Kevin on, right? And I was the only one to give her the win that year over the Terms of Endearment Ladies. And there is a reason why... And it's her comedic talent in that. And it still shows all these years later in Billy Elliot. She's snippy. She's sassy. She's everything I want. If I were to be like, if I were to ever get into drag, she's this quintessentially the drag mother I always want. Um, and I think she's perfect here. She's, she's, the, she's the shining star in this movie. Um, I think this movie could have been super serious in its matter. Uh, In its tone and what she does with her line deliveries, what she does in her physical acting, even the way she smokes a cigarette and just dances around—like who who can do that? Oh yeah, Julie Walters.
0: That's who. She's fucking perfect in this. Oh, absolutely wonderful. I mean, it could have been a cliche—the hard bitten woman who could have been a dancer herself, and now she teaches, and she's had a rough life, and she smokes and drinks, and she tells the truth to Billy, and she's the maternal force that he needs and the mentor he needs she makes it real she gives it grit um when they did a musical version on broadway the woman was good but it was like you're not julie walters and that's who you're always going to remember in this role i actually wanted a movie just on the dance teacher and i hope they do it someday that would have been great
1: Oh, I'd love to see that, and I'd love to see Julie Walters uh, reprise the role uh, and get a lead actress nomination for the follow up to Billy Elliot. That'd be wonderful, because this is a character who I definitely want to watch for two more hours after the movie is over. Uh, she's funny and lively and vivacious and everything that you want in a great comedic supporting actress. And yeah, like Joey was saying, I just want to be around her. This is the kind of person who I just want to hang out with and. Hell, I'll learn to dance if it means hanging out with Julie Walters. I don't care. Yeah, I think she's uh, wonderful in this.
2: I remember watching this Oscar ceremony specifically, and it was like the first one that really stuck in my mind because this was the year before the first Harry Potter film came out. And I remember her being asked on the carpet uh, what she's going to bring to Mrs. Weasley. And she specifically said, just wait till the second movie. I ain't got shit in the first one. And I just remembered that always stuck with me. And I'm like, there she is. That's Julie Walters for you. So big fan of her in general. All right. Let us dive right into the lead actresses of 2000. Your nominees were...
0: Joan Allen in The Contender. Juliette Vinoche in Chahara. Ellen Burstyn in Requiem for Dream. Laura Linney. You Can Count On Me, Julia Roberts,
2: and Aaron All right. So, starting off this year, we're going to do Laura Linney playing Sammy and You Can Count On Me. This is her first of three nominations. Going into Oscar night, she had a Golden Globe nomination for Best Drama or Best Actress in the Drama. Critics Choice nomination for Actress, a Spirit Award nomination, L.A. Film Critics Association nomination, and a SAG nomination for Best Actress. However, she won the National Society Society of Film Critics and the New York Film Critics Circle for Best Actress. And you can count on me. Again, Laura plays Sammy, a single mom whose brother uh, comes back into town and deals with her son trying to have a father figure while she's also sleeping with her boss. And it's just like, as soon as her brother gets into town, it's like one thing after another happens. And in a way, kind of her world falls apart. Um, So Michael, since you're our guest, start us off with what do you think about Laura Linney as Sammy?
0: Oh, I adore her. I think it was my favorite uh, in that category. She's a wonderful actor. Laura Linney is capable of anything you put in front of her. She does drama, comedy, everything. She probably does musicals too. She made a complex real character out of this person. The script was by Kenneth Lonergan. It was as witty and intelligent as all of his scripts are. And uh, I just think she's sublime. She's like uh, Carol Lombard for the new era and uh, walked away with the category, but she didn't win.
2: I like that comparison the Carol Lombard. That's good. Brandon, what about you?
1: i agree i think laura lenny can do no wrong um i believe she can do anything she puts her mind to uh as far as the kenneth lonergan stuff goes yeah this movie is really smartly written but you wouldn't it's not showy at least through laura lenny's performance it doesn't sound like aaron sorkin dialogue where the where the dialogue and the witticisms are almost a character onto themselves laura lenny makes it feel very real and grounded and she feels like an actual human being um playing a character who very easily could have been, you know, a a lifetime TV movie of the week lead character, but she brings a real uh, dimensionality to it that I really respect. And uh, this movie gives Laura Lenny so many opportunities uh, to showcase her various talents. And I think it's a really great first nomination for Laura Lenny.
2: Yeah, I agree. Um, I do want to start with saying off, this is probably my favorite of Lonnegan's pictures. Um, I think, I'm not a huge, huge fan of his work, but this one really sucks me in. Um, And I think what Laura does with Sammy, it's subtle, but it's effective. It's, it's subtle, but it's powerful. It's subtle, but it makes you forget that you're watching acting. Like this feels like one of those performances where it's like, oh my God, this, wait, this is a movie. This is not actually happening in front of me because what, what she does with Sammy, like my mom was a single mom for 10 years. So I, in a way, kind of, like, related to her, you know, being that only child for a while and whatnot. Um, I think it's beautiful. I think this is definitely the beginning of what Laura Linney has for us. And here it is again. Here is New York actors compared to L.A. actors. She's playing for everybody. Um, it's great. I love it. If no one else has got anything on Laura, I'm going to move right into this year's winner, Julia Roberts, uh, as Erin Brockovich in Erin Brockovich. This is her third nomination, her first win of four nominations altogether. She won everything. The Golden Globe, the BAFTA, the Critics' Choice, the LA Film Critics, the National Board of Review, and the SAG win for Best Actress. And in Erin Brockovich, again, Julia plays a titular role, um, and it's about a woman who takes on an industrial plant for poisoning water, and she's got to uncover the secrets of why people are getting sick, and pretty much it's just It's like the China Syndrome uh, for 2000 in a way. Um, Brandon, what do you think about Julia Roberts in in
1: Abrakovich? It's funny you mention China Syndrome because when I was revisiting this movie, it felt like something that Jane Fonda would have done in the 70s or perhaps Sally Field in the 80s. Um, I actually really like Julia Roberts in this. It has grown on me over the years. Uh, This is a, a movie and a performance that I kind of dismissed a lot in the past when I first um, watched it. It really wasn't my thing, but I'm not sure what it is over time. I've grown a little bit more fond toward this movie and Julia's performance. Um, it's definitely a portrayal that chews a lot of the dialogue and a lot of the movie, but in a way that I think kind of works for me. Um, she's a very larger than life character, very can do attitude, and she's not going to take anyone's shit to, to do what's right. And um, it's hard to not be on her side when she's, you know, fighting a corporation that's possibly killing hundreds of people. So, um, yeah, it's a performance that's really grown on me. And I don't scoff at this win. Um, I know there's a lot of people that do, but, um, and perhaps I was in the past, but I don't think I am anymore. Uh, Michael, how do you feel about Aaron Brockovich?
0: I agree. It's kind of Norma Ray meets the China syndrome. And um, I think when I saw it, it was like, Duh, she's gonna win the Oscar. It was so obvious. That was the biggest slam dunk possibly in Oscar history. A lot of people talk about Ellen Burstyn, we'll get to that later. But Ellen Burstyn never had a chance. This was a slam dunk win for Julia Roberts. A, she's playing a real person. B, she's fighting a cause. C, she's somebody who's kind of awakened and becomes a huge hero. She has the the big rack. I mean, it's like Erin Gobralis. Uh, <laughs> she has an incredible showy scene, which is screaming for an Oscar, where she rattles off all the complainants and their personal information. Remember that? She
1: has a na- name, a phone number, or something? Yeah,
0: she knows each. I don't even, I doubt this ever happened in real life, but it was great movie making and it was great Oscar bait. And everybody loved Julia Roberts at this point already from Pretty Woman and her other films. And plus, she had been nominated for Steel Magnolias before that. She was the queen of Hollywood, and here she proved that she could really take a leading role and act something with some gravitas and really take you along with the whole, uh, I hate the word journey, but the, the whole narrative of the movie and make you love this woman, Erin Brockovich. And everyone loved Julia Roberts. Here's my main problem with Julia is that when she won, she acted like she was surprised because she's an actress and she's a people pleaser. She gave everyone Mm -hmm. a performance with that speech because I think she felt that's what they wanted. They wanted that Julia Roberts victory moment. No one on earth thought Julia Roberts was not going to win at that point, including Benjamin Bratt, her boyfriend. Yep. (laughs) But so so I thought her speech was a little phony. I have to admit, I thought her speech was a little phony. She was doing another performance.
2: Oh, 100%. I'm actually going to echo that really quick. So one of my late dear friends was Misty Upham, who worked with Julia on August Osage County. And I remember when I actually was on FaceTime with Misty when they were up for the SAG Awards. And Misty would always tell stories about Julia. And one of the stories that she would tell was how she still always brought her Oscar win into the conversation, like to never let you forget that she did it. So I was like, that is just such a Julia Roberts thing to do. Like, of course. Um, with Erin Brockovich, I used to really hate this performance. I don't know what it was. I always thought it was super, super over the top. Visiting it now, I appreciate it a lot more. I think this is extremely well acting. Like this is really good um and i like that she's like she's snippy and she's i don't want to always use the word sassy because i feel like that word gets thrown around for women and like just so nonchalantly anymore but this character is a sass bucket and this could have easily been like um like this easily if this was in any actu- other actress's hands it could have been dulled down to it, it was just annoying but she was on point i do want to point out though what and i know this is going to sound weird When I think of the performances in Aaron Brockovich, I don't think of Julia Roberts. I think of Albert Finney. Albert Finney is really the standout for me in that movie, performance-wise. I also think it's interesting, though, that from the research that I did, according to the actual Aaron Brockovich, they wanted Jennifer Tilly for the role. And and me being a huge Jennifer Tilly fan, I would have been all about it.
0: Mm. I don't see her being as sympathetic. Julia Roberts, you, she, she just shows up on screen and you, you're in love immediately. And nobody could do that laughing and crying thing at the same time like Julia Roberts. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I think, Joe, I think what you touched on, Joey, something that Well, basically I was saying earlier, when I first uh, saw this movie, it just read to me as clear cut Oscar bait. And usually that just makes me roll my eyes and I shut off. Um, but revisiting it this last time, I think she's tremendous. I think she finds so many opportunities in this role and yeah, it's larger than life and maybe every scene was written and performed to be an Oscar clip, but somehow it kind of works for me. I'm not sure why, but it all just kind of comes together and uh, I don't know how Julia Roberts and Steven Soderbergh did it, but somehow it feels authentic to me. I don't get it, Uh, but yeah, I'm definitely more on board with this movie and this performance um, now more so than I have been in the past.
2: Well, we just talked about her, so let's just go right into her. Uh, Ellen Burstyn as Sarah Goldfarb in Requiem for a Dream. This is her sixth of six nominations and her most recent. Um, going into Oscar night, she was nominated for the Golden Globe for Best Actress, the National Society of Film Critics, and the SAG Award, but she won the Independent Spirit Award for Best Actress. And in Requiem, again, Ellen plays Sarah, who is a woman who is a widow in uh, – on Coney Island, who essentially finds out that she could possibly be on TV and gets addicted to uppers. Um, And it's, Requiem as a film is fascinating. Um, I'll get to that point when it's my turn to talk here. But for the character, it really shows you the effect of what happens when you get addicted to drugs. Um, Michael, why don't you start us off with Ellen Burstyn?
0: Oh, you would think I would love this movie. It's drugs, there's a dildo. (laughs) I don't know. I wasn't that impressed with it. And everybody was turning to me like, oh, you got to love Requiem for a Dream. And I'm like, I I didn't even love Ellen Burstyn. I'm from Brooklyn. I didn't believe her accent at all. And that threw me from the beginning. When I heard her talking, it was not a New York accent. I'm from there, okay? Mm -hmm. Um, She was fine. I never thought she had a chance against Julia Roberts. Julia Roberts was a juggernaut that was unstoppable. I love Ellen Burstyn, but I later read her memoir, and I didn't like something she said about Last Picture Show where she and Cloris Leachman were both nominated for supporting and Cloris won. And Ellen wrote that, oh, she had been offered the Cloris Leachman role, but it was such an obvious Oscar role that she turned it down. So to me, that was so ungracious because it's like, first of all, pointing out Cloris wasn't the first choice. And secondly, it's saying, oh, I could have just done it and picked up an Oscar. It's so easy. You know, that's what Cloris did. I chose the more challenging role. And I started mm-hmm. thinking... I'm not a fan of Ellen Burstyn as a person after reading her memoir, but I admire her so much as an actor. I just don't get Requiem for a Dream. It was Darren Aronofsky collaborating with Hubert Selby, two people I usually admire. Did you love the movie? uh, Explain to me why.
1: So I have some mixed feelings with this movie as well. Um, It's a movie that I I admire it for... um, the, how iconic it has managed to become over time and how influential it has been in the independent film world and in the student film world because I swear in school, every freshman film major, I knew this was their favorite movie and I didn't understand it. Um, I thought it was a perfectly good movie, but I didn't understand why it was so revered. Um, revisiting it again uh, just a couple nights ago, I kind of feel the same way about the movie as a whole. It's a movie that I much... I respect more than I really like, um, Ellen Burstyn though, I think gives a, a really nice performance. Um, her downward spiral, uh, I find fascinating. I think she pulls it off pretty well. I think the trage- trajectory is, uh, pretty riveting. Um, but I'm going to echo what Michael said with the accent, because there was a moment in her first scene where I actually had to Ask myself, does this take place in New York? Wait, where is this set? Because her her voice just didn't sound right to me, and I'm not from New York, but you know I've seen enough movies that take place there, and it just didn't sound right to me. But in terms of her her mental unraveling and uh, going deeper and deeper into this um, this psychosis that she's going through, I think it's a riveting uh, hell of a performance. But uh, the movie as a whole, I just um, I'm not over the moon with it. So I'm going to be the oddball out here. Requiem is one of my favorite movies of all
2: time. I just, there's something about it that has drawn me in, in the 10 years since I've seen it the first time. And I don't, I think there was like a huge point in my early adulthood where I was like super into experimenting with drugs, but I'm like, I never hit like the heavy shit, like the heavy, heavy shit, but I did uppers and I did ecstasy and I did downers and I always found it fascinating that Aronofsky filmed this as if you were high on each of those drugs. And I think that's really what always drew me into it because I was like, oh my God, like I remember experiencing that, Um, you know? So I just think think, I think it's fascinating. Plus I think it's a fascinating character study on all of these characters and how each drug affects them. I mean, God, the double dildo scene with Jennifer Connelly at the end, she's going through all of this to literally have her character end with... Grasping onto her cocaine, like it's a, the greatest thing in the world. I just think it's a fascinating piece of film. It's honestly my favorite of Aronofsky's films. But for the record, I only like this and Black Swan. Like I don't really like any of his other movies. Um, regarding Burston, though, fucking brilliant. This is such. I can forgive the accent thing. Maybe it's because I'm not from New York, so it doesn't bother me as much. But whether she it 's the red dress monologue or her on the subway or her even like her reaction and her realizing what she went through at the end when her hair is all shaved or, or her head's all shaved up and her friends come to visit her, there is something about this performance that makes me break down on the inside every time I see it and it's it 's fucking beautiful. Um, You know, I'm a huge fan of Burstyn. I I gave her the Oscar for Exorcist and Resurrection. So I, 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 you know, I kind of go into this a little biased, already loving Ellen Burstyn. But this is, I really hope that this isn't her last one, but it has been 20 years at this point. Um, You never know. I just hope this this isn't the end of Ellen Burstyn's Oscar career.
1: Yeah, I agree. I'd like to see her
2: come back. I mean, there was 20 years in between Resurrection and Requiem, but I mean, how She's, what, 83 or 80, maybe even 87 now? She's up there. I don't know how many roles that are written for women
1: at that age that are going to put her back in the race.
0: Well, I think she won an Emmy for, like, a three-second performance or something.
1: Yeah. I think it was Political Animals. Yeah. <laughs> that, that TV show Sigour- or miniseries with Sigourney Weaver that she did, I'm pretty sure she won an Emmy for that. Yeah. I remember uh, there
0: was a big scandal about a very short performance of hers. Where the what they put on the the awards reel for your consideration was actually the entire performance. Oh, Mrs. Harris, and I think she won. Yeah. Oh, Alan Burstyn. She oh. breaks. She breaks all the rules. Yes.
2: Yes. Well, not to bring up some um, bad memories, but we got to jump back into the Chocolat discussion here because now we oh. have Julie. <laughs> We've got. Let's get it out of the way. Rip the bandit off. We've got Juliette Binoche as Vivian uh, Rocker in Chocolat. This is her second of two nominations and her most recent um, uh, coming off of her win a couple years earlier for The English Patient. Going into Oscar night, she had a Golden Globe nomination for Best Actress in a Comedy, a Baptonom, and a Sagnom. And in Chocolat, Juliette plays a single mother who comes to a very religious French town decides to break all the rules and open up a chocolate shop. So, Michael, I know this is painful for you. Start us off so you can get
0: it out of the way. I'll never forgive her for beating Lauren Bacall. Um, no, I'm kidding. I don't really care. <laughs> 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 I, I thought Mira Has Two Faces was awful, <laughs> But so uh, to you. me, Juliette Binoche is always like a nice, likable version of Isabel Huper. <laughs> you know. I, oh my <laughs> I, I don't have a I don't have a lot of use for her. And I interviewed oh, her once amazing. and I, I was like, Well, you know, Joan Rivers was asking you to turn around on the red carpet and you wouldn't. And I, I thought that was interesting that she was had gone against Joan Rivers' wishes and she's like, Who's Joan Rivers? And I was like, Is she playing me for a fool? Or she really doesn't remember or know who Joan Rivers was? In any ed- in any case, that has nothing to do with chocolate, which is horrible. Um yeah, she was the center of, of lot, but that's like saying, you know, I'm the center of a shitstorm. I would have to rank her as the number five person of the five people
1: in that category. Oh, that's fantastic. And it was her last nomination, wasn't it? It was. It was. I believe so. So um, I usually like Juliette Binoche, uh, but this is not one of those instances, kind of like the movie itself. Uh, I think the performance is just a little too earnest in a way. And it gets really old to me really fast. Um, it, there's not a whole lot of, uh, I don't know, peaks and valleys to this character. There's not a whole lot of dimensionality. It feels pretty much the same throughout. I mean, yeah, she gets, there's a couple of conflicts that they throw her way throughout the movie. But overall, this is definitely not much of a showcase for Juliette Binoche. Um seeing what she's done internationally over the last few decades, she's definitely capable of much more interesting things. Shock uh, a lot, I think uh, just it played the game well enough to get in and it took Juliette Binoche along with it and um, it's a shame that this is uh, her most recent nomination or even a nomination at all considering that she's done so much better stuff.
2: Yeah uh, you know what? It, it, it's. I don't know if this is going to be a pun but it's a sweet performance I guess. It's it's a sweet lady performance um, it, there's not much going for it, it I mean, I, this performance doesn't anger me as much as other people I guess, um, but it does anger me that this could have been Bjork's spot for Dancer in the Dark um, or, I'm going to butcher this name so bad Zhi Z, Z, Yang for Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon could have gone here um But, yeah, Julia Binoche, I guess guess it's a little sweet
0: lady performance. That's about it. That's all I got for it.
2: It absolutely
0: should have been Bjork. It
1: should have been Bjork in that slot. You are so right.
2: Brandon, have you seen Dancer in the Dark?
1: Yeah, it's been a while, but I have. I backgrounds going through all of Von Trier's movies way back in the day. And I agree. I would much rather have seen Bjork in this spot than Binoche.
2: Yeah, oh, that's right, because this was also the year of the the swan drafts.
1: Right, because she was nominated, wasn't she? Was nominated for song for "Dancer right. in the Dark," right? Yeah. Right.
2: Oh, gotta love New York. All right, our final nominee this year is Joan Allen as Lainey Hanson in the Contender. This is her third of three nominations and her most recent as well. Going into Oscar night, she was only nominated for the Golden Globe for Best Actress in Drama, Spirit Nom, and a SAG nomination. In the Contender, uh, Joan again plays Lainey Hanson, who is a um, senator from the state of Ohio. And it ends up being the VP pick for Jeff Bridges' uh, president character in the film. But guess what? There's a sex scandal a-brewing. And you know what that sex scandal was? It was my fucking intro. Apparently, her character in college was railed by a bunch of dudes at a frat house. Was it her? Wasn't her? I don't know. Uh, Brandon, what do you think about Joan Allen?
1: Uh, so I adore Joan Allen just as an actress. Um, I don't think she gets the respect she deserves today. Um, I love that she got, what, multiple nominations uh, in a relatively short time period, but it's too bad that she's not really recognized in the same way anymore, like she was uh, 20 or so years ago. Um, The Contender, though, um, I think she's perfectly all right in it, Um, performance-wise. It's a very controlled performance in the way that I think it needs to be, considering the subject matter and the way this character is being scrutinized and picked apart by basically every other character in the movie. But um, this movie just doesn't really work for me a whole lot. I think it it treats itself as a little bit too important. And it's like important with a capital I and it never really lets you forget it. And unfortunately, that kind of rubs off on Joan Allen's performance for me in terms of how I feel about it. But um, I think Joan Allen's perfectly all right for the for the role. And um, yeah, she's Joan Allen and I respect the hell out of her. But uh, Michael, how do you feel about her and the contender?
0: I love Joan Allen. It's like Laura Linney. Like, this is someone who can do no wrong for me. And in a way, like Marsha Gay Harden as well. And I love Joan Allen in Nixon. And I loved her in The Crucible. And I liked her a lot in this. This is a movie that was uh, by Rod Lurie, who was a film critic. So we were all rooting for him as fellow film critics and commentators. And it turned out it's not like Pauline Kael. Like, he actually knew how to make a good movie. Oh, Remember? My God. Remember, Polly <laughs> Kent was given the chance to finally make a movie, and she couldn't do it. uh Three oh, yeah. did it. I don't know what really happened to his career in the long term, but this was... Uh, it was a good, solid film, <laughs> and I thought Joan did terrifically. I agree that she should have an Oscar for something. She's one of those actors who deserves an Oscar. I don't know for what, but... <laughs> maybe not for this, but uh, maybe for Nixon... Um, But I'm a fan. I'm a big fan.
2: Well, going off of that, I am a huge fan of this performance. Uh, For me, I think this is probably my favorite of her three nominations. I know, Brandon, you gave her the Oscar for Nixon and the Crucible back-to-back. I'm I'm curious to see where you'll put her here. Um, But I think what she does here is pretty brilliant. I'm a huge fan of political thrillers or courtroom dramas or stuff that has to do with history because I'm a huge history buff. And I love the discussion of politics. Um, So this was just checked off every box for me. Um, I definitely think she's a standout performance in the movie. Um, I, I think this could have been super played down to a TV of the week performance, like an after school special style performance. But what Joan here, she's able to transcend every word. And for the twist of the film essentially to be, it wasn't her, but she that she didn't need to confirm nor deny was literally years ahead of itself. I think that whole aspect of being in a film almost in a way, I don't know if this is like a film that you could be like, oh, this was like a pre Me Too style era film, but it was way ahead of itself for coming out in 2000 to be like, you know what, it's no one's fucking business. That's why. That's why I shouldn't have to say if it's me or not. Um, But I think it's funny to side note that this is President Barack Obama's favorite president in a movie is Jeff Bridges in this movie. Hmm. So
0: there's that. I agree that I hope she has more chances because she deserves to ultimately have one. For sure. For sure. Well, let's get us down to the rankings, Brandon.
1: So as a reminder, your supporting actress uh, nominees in 2000 were Marsha Gay Harden for Pollock, Judy Dench for Chocolat, Kate Hudson for Almost Famous, Frances McDormand for Almost Famous, and Julie Walters for Billy Elliot. And I am actually going to rank Marsha Gay Harden as my number five, not because of her performance, but simply because I'm just disqualifying her because I feel like she is in the wrong category here. She definitely leans more lead for me. So even though I think she gives a wonderful performance in Pollock and definitely worthy of recognition, she's simply in the wrong category here. So I'm giving her my number five spot.
0: My number five would be Kate Hudson for Almost Famous. She's perfectly appealing, but I didn't see any kind of extraordinary acting going on in her performance as Penny Lane.
2: I am actually going to agree the sentiments here of Brandon. Um, Marcia Harden, while fantastic, is in the wrong category. Um, We're we're pretty sticklers uh, when it comes to category placement here, although we have definitely disagreed on a couple. But this is one where I have to agree, while not bad whatsoever, she's just in the wrong category. Therefore, I can't give her the Oscar for it.
1: My number four goes to Kate Hudson for Almost Famous. I don't think the performance is actually all that great or amusing. And I actually find the character of Penny Lane to be kind of boring. So Kate Hudson gets my number four.
0: A uh, four would be Judy Dench. Um, as I mentioned a hundred times, I did not care for Shuck a lot. I love Judy Dench. This was not her shining moment.
2: Um, I'm going to go with Michael here, actually. Judy Dench is at four for me. Um, she's just, you know, it's, it's Jude playing another little old woman. So, you know, whatever.
1: Well, I'm just going to carry that idea through. Uh, Judy Dench is my number three. Um, she edges out Kate Hudson, but just barely for me. Uh, she does find some pretty sincere points in this film that I find mostly dreadful. So she did crack my top three, but that's as far as she'll get.
0: Uh, My number three would be Frances McDormand for Almost Famous. She played Patrick Fugit's mother. She was colorful, she was interesting, she was comedic. I didn't think it was as extraordinary as the two roles that Frances won the Oscar for. Uh, She had already won for Fargo and she more recently won for Three Billboards Outside. Ebbing, Missouri, and uh, we love her. She's probably going to have 10 more nominations in her career and hopefully win a third and a fourth. Almost Famous. Also, she was competing against Kate Hudson for honors, and that's one reason they split up, I think, in the award voting. But she was perfectly entertaining, so I'm giving her number three. Uh, my number three,
2: I'm also going with an Almost Famous Lady, but it's actually going to be Kate Hudson. Um, You know, I I don't even know if this counts as a three, because I'm not a huge fan of her. And, and, you know, Marsha is unfortunately disqualified for me, but I think she's just fine. Like, if we had done this podcast 10 years ago, she'd probably be my number one. But as I've grown older, I'm less and less attracted to this performance. And therefore, three is just fine, I guess, for me.
1: So... Well, my runner-up is going to Frances McDormand for All Most Famous, and I'm rewarding Julie Walters with my win uh, for Billy Elliot. Frances McDormand, in her very limited screen time, finds a lot of opportunities, and I really admire how she's able to really pinpoint the moments of comedy and, uh, of, and sadness in this character with what limited time she has. But Julie Walters is just on another level in Billy Elliot. She really makes this character her own And she's the type of character who I want to have her own sequel and go off and continue her adventures, uh, teaching dance or whatever other mischief she gets into. So Julie Walters is my winner for the year.
0: Uh, Number two for me is Julie Walters for Billy Elliot. She really seems to have lived the role. It's like an old school British vaudeville performance, but she made it a real person and she took it away from the cliche. Uh, Number one, I'm going with Marsha Gay Harden for Pollock. Why? Because, first of all, I don't hold it against people if they're in the wrong category. It's not (laughs) Marsha's fault. In Violet Davis's case, she says that she wanted to be supporting. So you could kind of be mad at her for pushing for supporting, which she certainly wasn't for fences. In Marsha's case, this is where she was placed. And it's not like you're picking your favorites of the year. You're picking the favorites from these people that were nominated. So of the five that were nominated, Marcia Gay Harden was the best, whatever category you want to put her in, she was the best. She portrayed this woman who was complicated, who was edgy, who had to deal with this kind of self-defeating genius, and had a genius of her own. And the fact that you cared about her as much as about Jackson Pollock was a real feat because it's a movie called Pollock. No, I get it. That's actually a really good point. (laughs) no that was a
2: great point um yeah okay so i have julie walters as my runner-up and Frances mcdormand as my winner i think julie is fantastic she's brilliant her comedy is on point but i've already given her the oscar for um uh for educating rita back in 83 and like i said i think this is Frances mcdormand's best work that she's done on film uh for her nominations at least um I really like it. I want to be her. I want to go out for drinks with this woman, and I just think Francis fucking knocks it out of the park. I would like to point out, though, too, I think Almost Famous really... Uh, or the uh, the voters really jumped the gun and not nominating um, Philip Seymour Hoffman as Lester Bangs. I think he's fucking perfect in the three scenes he has, and that was... If that if this came out today, whoever played Lester Bl- Lester Bangs, that would be, I feel like, a shoe in type of role for a nomination. So... Um, Francis should have won that in my opinion and Philip Seymour Hoffman should have been nominated Alright Leads, again we've got Joan Allen in The Contender Julia Roberts in Aaron Brockovich Laura Linny in You Can Count On Me Ellen Burstyn in Room For A Dream and then Julia Pinoche in Chocolat um, No surprise, Julia Pinoche Chocolat, this should be Bjork's spot and Michael, I'm sure you probably think the same
0: Yes I do I'm honestly not even a fan of Bjork but I thought she was brilliant in that film and went to places that Julia Binoche could not even dream of.
1: Yeah, I'm going to agree with Juliet Binoche being number five in this lineup. Uh, the performance and the film just don't do a whole lot for me, so I'm going to agree with both of you.
2: Well, number four is actually, this is kind of where it gets hard, because these last four are really good, so this is, again, an example of, like, it's not like I hate these performances, but it's, how do I rank them? i got to go Laura Linney at four. Um, Linney, I think, is beautiful in this i love laura linney but compared to who she's up against and what else everyone else is doing um it's a little too subtle to win even though i appreciate it this time around for subtleness it's it it it, it kind of hurts itself in my opinion for these final four so uh michael
0: who's your fourth uh, my fourth is ellen burston for requiem for a dream mainly because i didn't like her brooklyn accent <laughs> I don't know the second I saw her on the subway and then heard her talking I was like something about this is inauthentic I had heard so many raves and sometimes you go in with too high expectations I admire Ellen Burston. she's actually one of my favorite actresses I loved her in Alice doesn't live here anymore last picture show Re- resurrection the exorcist and so on um, this movie didn't really click for me except for the double dildo
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes Brandon uh, so like you were saying, Joey, this top four is really tough because there's something I really admire about all these remaining four. But I'm actually going to put Joan Allen at number four for the contender. I think she does, um, she does exactly what she needs to do with the very controlled nature of her character. Uh, but with the remaining lineup, it's hard for me to put her any higher. Also, I'm just much more fond of her other nominations, like Nixon and the Crucible. Um, They're just uh, above the contender for me. So Joan Allen is um, only going to make my number four this year.
2: All right, gays. Hold on to your pearls, because I'm putting Julia Roberts at three. Um, I I, I think she's really good. Like I said, I used to really loathe this performance, and I used to loathe this win. Um, I still kind of loathe the win as a whole, like in real life, but... I can appreciate it a lot more than I did years ago. And I think she's really, really good in it. But Joan Allen and Ellen Burstyn are just decadence to me for this lineup. So, uh, Michael, number three for you.
0: A three for me is Joan Allen for the contender. I mean, it's really solid work. She doesn't really give a bad performance anytime. time. And uh, it might not be an all-time classic, but she always towers above everything she does. Uh, it's obviously better than Ellen Bur- Burstyn and Julia Binoe. So she's my number three, Joan Allen,
1: uh, Laura Lenny is my number three for You Can Count on Me. Uh, Laura Lenny is a treasure. There's no doubt about that. And uh, this is a great performance from her. But um, there's just something about Julia Roberts and Ellen Burstyn that just do a little bit more for me as a viewer in their performances. So Laura Lenny only makes my number three.
2: Well, here we go. My run up this year is Joan Allen. This would be the third Oscar I would have rewarded Ellen Burstyn after uh, The Exorcist and Resurrection. Um, starting with Joan, really quick, I think, like I said, this is my favorite of her nominations. I think she's so good here. Lane could have been just a throwaway character, even though she's the lead. And I think what she does here is transcending. Ellen, um, no fucking. Oh my God! I will never understand why voters didn't vote for this. Um, And I will also like to point out: I think this is, and I'm going on record right now, I think this is single-handedly the greatest Oscar-nominated performance ever in history. Now, I mentioned a little bit of that back when we talked about uh, Diane Curl and Claudine. Remember, Brandon? I was like, "There's like a couple performances, and Diane was one of them." This is. This is the my favorite performance ever nominated for an Oscar. I think this performance can be taught in schools um, I, I think I think what she does here is fucking brilliant. I'm heartbroken every time I watch this. For me, this should have been Ellen's Oscar for sure. Um, I know Michael definitely thought the opposite, so I'm interested to hear who is number two and one R.
0: Ellen had already won. Um, I, know. <laughs> two, I know Number two is Julia Roberts For Erin Brockovich Now Steven Soderbergh directed this It was considered quite populist for him It wasn't considered a typical Soderbergh film It was like mm-hmm. kind of A very commercial idea for him And execution It was also at the same time blatant Oscar bait But so are most of the movies that we're talking about All of these movies wanted to get Oscars That's one of the reasons they were made um, I just thought she did a star turn in the old style, like a Susan Hayward or, I don't know, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of Turner, but with good acting. Uh, she is so appealing. She radiates off the screen, Julia Roberts, mm-hmm. and uh, she just took you with her. And I, I did adore Albert Finney, too. I would have been very happy if he won Supporting Actor uh, as her boss. He was like the Lou Grant of The Office. <laughs> mm-hmm. But it was just such a slam dunk that this was going to be Julia Roberts' Oscar. It had been coming for some time. You could not get a more Oscar vehicle for her than this movie. And she hit it out of the park. But my number one is Laura Linney. Believe it or not, Laura Linney. <laughs> for, you can count on me simply because I don't penalize actors for subtlety. End of TED Talk. Ouch. Ouch. Uh. I mean, if we're not the Oscar voters, we're voting for quality. We don't have to look for the showy acting that the Oscar voters look for. We should pick the best. In my estimation, Laura Linney was the best.
1: Uh, So if you had asked me this question... A few weeks ago, my answer might've been different, but upon my uh, rewatch of these films, um, Ellen Burstyn is my runner up for Requiem for a Dream and I'm gonna give it to Julia Roberts for for Erin Brockovich. Um, Ellen Burstyn, I think does give a wonderful performance in Requiem for a Dream. I have some issues with the film. It's not exactly my favorite film of all time, but I do think she she takes viewers along for a ride, whether they want to go on it or not. And um, I can't help but but feel something when I'm watching her performance. Um, But Julia Roberts in Aaron Brockovich um, definitely did a whole lot more for me on this most recent rewatch. In the past, yeah, it had just played as like blatant Oscar bait for me, uh, shouting to the back of the room, uh, loud and obnoxious performance. And I guess in some ways you could say that it is, but it it works for me on this most recent rewatch. There's something about it that just has a real authentic charm to it. And even if each scene is played like an Oscar clip, there's something kind of magical about Julia Roberts' performance I don't quite understand that really captivated me on this most recent rewatch. And uh, perhaps it's not the most subtle of the performances, but I do think Julia Roberts does find some very um, subdued moments in the film. Um, but yeah, she uh, she definitely did more for me on this most recent visit. So I'm going to go ahead and give her the win for the year.
2: All three of us had different winners. So just to recap, I gave Frances McDormand and Ellen Burstyn the Oscar.
1: And I had uh, Julia Roberts and uh, Julie Walters. <coughs>
0: Uh, number two, Julie Walters. Number one, Marcia Gay Harden. For Best Actress, Julia Roberts is number two. Laura Linney, number one. So one of the things we definitely ask here um, after we rank is,
2: Brandon, did you, any of these shockers for you from me?
1: Um, Ellen Burstyn, definitely not. Um, I, had, I had a feeling you were going Julie Walters for Billy Elliot, but uh, Frances McDormand didn't surprise me. It's just not where I figured you would go.
2: I got to say, too, the Julia Roberts one kind of threw me for you. I definitely saw you going uh, Allen or Burston, maybe even a Lenny upset. Um, Julie Walters was not expecting that from you. Honestly, I thought, like, Kate Hudson would have been you for some reason. I don't know. It just it, For me, it just screamed you. And, Michael, yeah. honestly, one of the favorite things I love about having him on right now is I didn't know where the fuck you were going. And that was
0: fantastic. <laughs> I'm going to hell.
1: <laughs> we so, all are.
0: Interestingly, the two big Oscar movies were Gladiator and Traffic, and there were no women nominated for those. There were not really Captain
2: Zeta-Jones in- kind of like, wasn't she nominated for SAG for that? I feel like she was. Really? I feel like Captain Zeta-Jones was nominated somewhere for supporting.
0: Um, no, you're thinking of her prenup. <laughs> this is when she signed the prenup. Yes, yes. No, I don't know. So, Gladiator obviously was not a very uh, estrogen-laden film. Right. So we've got something new that we're adding this season. Um,
2: uh, our Twitter is always a buzzin at academy underscore queens. And um, we've got some uh, listeners' questions. We've only got a couple here for this year, so let's get to them really quick. Starting with a New York writer by the name of Luke Vale at Luke Vale Writes. Um, assuming Ellen Burson was in supporting for Requiem for a Dream, who do you think would have taken her place in lead? Um, right off the bat, the first person, like I said, that I could think of are the two people would have been um, Bjork and Dance in the Dark. And I'm still going to butcher this name. And I know she won supporting at Spirit, but definitely rewatching Crouching Tiger. She was a lead, in my opinion. But was with Ziyi Um, I think those two could have easily been in lead. What about you guys?
0: Oh, there's no question it would have been Bjork. I really think Bjork was edged out by like five votes or something like that. That's my feeling. She was considered too edgy, too weird, too wacky. It was a large Trier film, but I'm sure she was the sixth choice in the voting. I just am confident of that.
1: I agree. Those are probably the two that um, I'd see most likely getting in. Uh, Bjork for the performance and then um, Zhang uh, for also giving a, a wonderful performance, but in a movie that was much more uh, revered in the industry and at this particular Oscar ceremony. So I could have seen her uh, squeezing in there too.
2: Well, going off of that really quick, we got a question that kind of has the same atmosphere from Andrew Carden at Awards Connect. And there's a story with this um, that I'll put in first. So would Burstyn have triumphed in supporting, and who would she have booted from that category? Really quick, if you guys remember, uh, for the listeners back in the 90s, I believe we talked about it, um, an actor friend of mine in L.A. by the name of Craig Jordan, his, one of his good friends was Ellen Burstyn's assistant at the time that uh, this season was going. And the studio wanted to put her in supporting, but she said, there's no way I'm going in supporting. I can win. And we see what happened. Um, had she been put in supporting, I honestly think she could have won. This could have been Ellen Burson's second Oscar win in real life. If she's booting someone, honestly, I gotta say she probably would have maybe booted Marsha Gay Harden. That's only because Marsha Gay didn't really have any precursors going into this. Everyone who was in this outside of Marcia Gay had... Won a precursor at some point. So, honestly, I think if Burson went into supporting, Marsha would not have been there and won. What do you guys think?
0: I think Ellen would have won just based on the buzz about her performance and the incredible acclaim that she got for it. Yeah, I think she would have gone in with the advantage. But it's would have, could have, <laughs> excuse me, would have, could have, should have. I mean, ages ago, Rosalyn Russell didn't want to be put in supporting for Picnic. She probably would have won. So, she got nothing. So, it's always like, well, what if they were in this category or that category? Well, they weren't.
1: You
0: know, <laughs> so we'll never know. But um, my guess is that poor Marcia would be Oscarless if Ellen weren't supporting.
1: I think I would agree with you. I think she probably would have won. Um, it had been a long time since she had uh, last won, and Requiem for a Dream was a pretty buzzed about film at the time. And as far as who she would have uh, booted from the lineup, on paper, it makes sense that Marcia Gay Harden would be the one to get the axe, considering... Um, she does get, uh, fewer precursors, uh, particularly the major ones. So I think it's, um, it's, it makes sense that she would be the one who would get kicked out for Ellen Burstyn.
2: Yep. Yep. Um, this is not so much a question from Justin E. Priest. It's literally, it just says Marsha Gay Harden dot, 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 the fuck. (laughs) So, um, clearly Justin is not a fan and Michael Musto would like a word with you.
0: Well, watch the movie, and that'll answer your question, which, in, which is not a question, by the way. <laughs> right.
2: All right, moving on. We got two more here. It's from the same person at uh, kathry624048, Catherine Short. Um, this one, the first one Really quick, I got out of the way. It's just directed towards me. Um, longtime listener, Joey, knowing that you tend to favor showy performances, did you enjoy the quietest performance in the category, that of Laura Linney, or were you turned off by her, quote-unquote, lack of big scenes? Uh, well as you just heard I was a huge fan of Laura Linney in this and I don't think she needed big scenes I thought it was subtle and in the entire movie was a big scene for her because she fucking killed it so there you go um, also the second question then is had Hudson won do you had Hudson won do you think her win would be looked back on with disdain considering her lack of good roles since then and relatively strong competition Michael you touched on that a little bit
0: what do you think Um, Yeah, I have a feeling it would be one of those what were they thinking kind of things. And supporting actress is rife with that kind of thing, especially when it's somebody white. It's often, uh, Mm. wait a minute, how did they win? Um, I don't want to keep dumping on Kate Hudson. I like her. But uh, it's, it's weird to have two Oscars in a family that people question. Goldie certainly proved herself. And Private Benjamin was a wonderful Oscar nomination for Goldie for Best Actress, as well as her final nomination, no? I Uh, believe so. Yeah, so, yeah, but again, it's a woulda-shoulda. I mean, she didn't win, and I didn't think there was ever, that it was really going to happen. Brandon, what do you think about it?
1: I think if she had one for this, it'd be an interesting parallel between her and her mother, uh, considering what Michael had touched on earlier, how um, a lot of what fueled Goldie Hawn's win for Cactus Flower was she was the new it girl of Hollywood. They're sort of um, anointing her in a way is kind of how uh, that win is often remembered. And I feel like if Kate Hudson had won for Almost Famous, there definitely would have been a parallel there. And uh, it'd be be interesting considering the mother-daughter relationship of the two but yeah i don't know how fondly the uh the performance would be looked back upon these days i know i personally would be um i i would disagree with that had she won in real life
2: yeah i really quick cuz this is the last of it here i think this is um this is you know kate hudson was really the quote unquote hollywood it girl for that moment we see it every year it, it, just in this last decade alone it was rudy maro with the girl with the dragon tattoo lupita nyango with 12 years a slave um even Quvenzhané Wallets with *Piece of Southern Wild*. The Hollywood It Girl is here for a moment. She does a few more things, and then it can either go one of two ways. Um, had she won for this, I think it, we would look back on that and be like, "Man, good thing she got it when she could, because there's no way she's getting one now." Um, but I don't know if it would be favored
1: or you know looked on in a weird way. So,
2: well, we did it. First episode down of the fourth season.
1: So. Yeah, thank you for Michael uh, to Michael for coming on board.
0: Oh, thanks
2: Thank for you having are. me. I
0: had a great time. Thank you.
2: So, gentlemen, on the con of three, we're going to give a, a big old goodbye. Ready? One, two, three. Bye. Bye.